and welcome to Anne and Steve Talk Stuff. We're, uh, we're, or where? I'll try that again. Where? An artist and an economist walk into a podcast and things happen. This is the artist Anne and the economist Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good, Anne. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, it's an, another week in, in this world we live in. Uh, anything strange on your end? Well, I mean, we're, we're we're still getting ready for the students coming back. Um, so we're recording this in the middle of August, I guess. Um, yep. Um, it, we're I'm still recording lectures. Um, you know, the the you, whereas you used to just rock up and talk for two hours, now you have to structure those two hours into various bite-sized bits and and all that. And you know that it takes a lot of work to get that right, but it's it's coming together. Um, and the, there's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about how many students we will be teaching, where we will be teaching them, how we will be teaching them, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There's still massive uncertainty um, and we're just having to cope with it. And the way you cope with it is by knuckling down and doing your best work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do myself. Uh, and it's, it's, it's tough. Um, we have, there's a lot of, processes which people just wouldn't be aware of uh um in a university you know and it's it, it's very subterranean in the sense that there are lots of things that happen behind the 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 curtain of the the sort of somebody showing up for two hours for a lecture um and those things all still need to happen and a lot of them are um informal they're very person-based they're very place-based and obviously none of those things can happen. So it's, you know, the, the, the actual texture and fabric of the university is being writ- rewritten um, and redone. Um, and, you know, some of it's better, some of it's not. And mm. we're, we're sort of coping with it all. But that's, that's where I'm at. Um, uh, and I have decided uh, next week to take, to take uh, myself and the family, we're going to take three days off. Yay! We're going to go. Um, uh, I haven't actually, I think I took four days off. I've taken four days off since, since January. And I'm going to take three more days off. And I'm really looking forward to that. Um, oh, holidays. Uh, they are. Holidays. Actual like leave the phone at the house. If, yeah. if, if the, if, if, you know, if the economy is on fire, call a fire brigade kind of stuff, you know, um, that, if, that sort of if, thing. If Anne wants to talk stuff, she can wait. Well, no, we'll have, we'll have, we'll, 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 we'll make sure the stuff is, it's the, the stuff is talked before. <laughs> the of happens. course, of course, of course. No, Priorities. we will. Priority. We did. We did take a little holiday in fairness on on the podcast. So that's um, true. That's yeah, true. yeah. But but you didn't take a holiday. I did, yeah. and uh, you just kept working, and uh, and very kindly didn't choose to to replace me with somebody else called Anne. So that know. would have been that would have been. I <laughs> would have been. I couldn't do that. Couldn't do that, Jan. You know, Aww. I think we have Anne. You know, <laughs> yeah. True that, true that. Um, it does make an interesting feature, you know, if we could get like Anne Doyle, you know, and all the Anne's that we know. You yes, know? Yeah, Battle of the yeah, Anne's. Yeah, it does make an interesting feature. But then, of course, it, it, it opens us up to the problem of, of uh, Trigger's, Trigger's brush. You know, like he's replaced the handle many times, he's replaced the brush many times, and he's had the same brush since, you know, 1970. Oh, of course. It's a bit like the Sugar Babes. I like the Sugar Babes. Exactly. Who are the sugar babes anymore? The sugar babes. Sugar babes. They're, 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 they're a, a, the sugar babes and triggers, um, triggers brush are an example of a, um, 
of an argument that's used to justify artificial intelligence. Really? So yeah. So so you replace my uh, I, I, you cut off my arm, you replace my arm with a metal arm. You cut off my other arm, replace it with a metal arm. You know, am I still me? Yes. You you replace my heart with a metal heart. Am I still me? Yes. You replace my nose with a metal nose, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All the way, and eventually you replace my brain with a metal brain. Yes. Am when, I, when am I me anymore? You know, myself, right? Ah, yes. And it's a really, really interesting thing. So, so, so I forget the exact name of the philosophical argument because it's a very old argument, like thousands of years old. That argument is really old um, because it's all about what is the nature of self. Yes. Um, and the first major breakthrough actually didn't happen until I think the 16th century with uh, Descartes. I think therefore I am. Mm-hmm. Cogito ergo sum. I know all stuff that, too. All that stuff. So it's really, really <laughs> interesting. Um, there's, there's a brilliant book uh, uh, on this with like the history of um, uh, Western philosophy by Bertrand Russell. It's one of those books that uh, they're like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a Oh. Can you hear that? Yeah, what is it? Not totally sure. <laughs> Just one second. Okay. For anyone listening, if we don't edit this out, Stephen was just explaining something to me there when he heard a mysterious noise and went to check it, but now he's yeah. back. And I, I, my neighbors are just playing music in the background. It's totally fine. Oh, that's totally they're, fine. They're lovely. They're they're really nice neighbors, actually. So yeah, they're they're great. Being outdoors is is very important. Yeah, and you know what? Um, the the one of the one of the really cool things about um about uh this current period, which we're not talking about. We're not talking about it. How we've all kind of pushed out into the edges of our houses and our, our you know if you have a, if you're lucky enough to have a back garden loads of people are using the back garden now whereas before they wouldn't have done so because exactly the way you know yeah. like a lot of it is in a certain sense is it's our using our own space more efficiently and mm-hmm. we're seeing that argument play out in the cities of the country and uh, the world mm. you know, people are saying well there aren't that many cars surely we should use the streets uh, as, as a more of a public space for people and not for cars and it's really interesting to see the degree to which that argument is being uh, taken on board by local authorities in some cities and taken not on board at all by some by by by, by others. Um, yeah, other others being where we live. Well, that's one example. One mm-hmm. example. Um, there, there's lots of them actually. To be honest, um, the, there, there's lots of very vocal kind of pedestrianization uh, advocates. Um, yeah. The, the, to the extent that they are representative of of the wider public or not we don't know you know Mm -hmm. uh, we know they're going to make a noise but like that's not you know you have to be careful um in in judging and being being aware of the fact that um you know twitter is not real life you know and people they can make a lot of noise and make a lot of submissions and stuff that doesn't necessarily mean that they're more than two percent of the whole population and the local authority has to legislate for a hundred percent you know Yeah. yeah So while I personally would really like that, mm-hmm. um, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, you know you know elite effete kind of uh, uh, middle class um, person whose ideas really are you know they're not representative of the whole. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm you know you don't well, you don't. I know. think it, much knows we like being able to get around and get where we want to. I think any human being in the world would agree that if they were to sit down and have a coffee or be in a city they would prefer not 
to have either the noise of a car right by them or if they're walking on a street, they prefer not to be nearly run over. I think that's a pretty basic preference. It's not radical, but often it's the way it's framed is, you know, uh, around a paranoia around, you know, you won't be able to get wherever you want. But I mean, we do not drive from one shop to another. We park our cars. Uh, we, you know, you don't drive around the Crescent shopping center. You park your car and then you walk around and the city should be the same. You should be able mm. to like walk. Um, like I like if you European cities or I was in Montreal a few years ago, there's streets you're walking along them and they're pedestrian. And then another time of the day, they're not because yep. they're three ways because you've got deliveries, you've got, I know from being in a band, if you're trying to play in a venue, you really need to be able to park your car and unload your stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what's yeah. really important, but that's access as opposed to traffic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, coming and going. And, and like, I don't think I'm speaking I don't think it's a crazy notion to say it's sure. nicer to walk around and not be mildly in fear of being run over or to sit down and chat to someone without right, right beside your head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that, Hey, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what is interesting in the, the limerick context is it's being framed as business versus, you know, so, yeah. so businesses don't want this and everyone else does. And it's, what, what strikes me is that, you know, when you've got, when you've got any trade-off like that, so any trade-off we, where it's like, we will lose if you win. So that kind of thing. So the businesses will lose if the pedestrianization activists win, this kind of thing. Um, the way to get, uh, to get a resolution is first to embrace the difference. So John Hume, right? Mm. Yeah, they embrace the difference and realize that actually you can get, you can get bo- both, both parties want the same thing, which is actually more people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Right. So, so that, so that's. The, so then the only question is how, and then the answer to how is experiments. So, um, running a series of experiments on streets, you know, yeah. um, where you go, okay, we're going to tr- take street A, experiment with it. Take street B, experiment with it. Take street C, experiment with it. And you know, m- some configurations will make loads of sense. Like some. Some, some, some things like if you block off traffic, you're going to cause a massive, massive problem. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the other, the other thing is, you know, weather dependent. It's, it's like quite a nice day today. Um, we're all wearing shorts. Uh, the idea of sitting outside in a cafe and having a app with you recording a podcast, whatever. It sounds beautiful. Um, it, if you, if you suggested the same to me in mid November, I might say, do you know what, Jenny, we're good. Or, and we're good. Jenny. <laughs> oh, oh. Mixing me up. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe that's. I, I, maybe we'll, maybe we'll re- replace you. Uh, uh, well, yeah. well, well. Here's the thing, though. Like, I I do agree. Um, of course. Uh, like, I don't. I black and white is never a good approach to any of these things. No. You have to acknowledge the needs of the business. Like I said, you have to be able to unload stuff. You have to be able to deliver things. You yeah. have to be able to to get around a city. Mm. Um. And the thing is, like, okay, in, in countries, a lot of European countries, there are, you know, there is the terrace, the, ter- the terrace, there's always mm-hmm. this outside seating into the winter. Like, um, yeah. I did my Erasmus year in, in Nantes, and, you know, I was like, when do the tables go in, you know? And we're into December, and they're all still out there. Now, they mightn't get quite the amount of rain we do, but people would be sitting outside, um, having their coffee yeah. all year round. 
in yeah. even in they'd have umbrellas up and and like we had something like the smoking ban where everyone just kind of got over it and mm. i kind of think you know you create a culture what well, we've talked about this you create a culture by um strong decisions that mm-hmm. kind of change the temperature and such of 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 how of the entire operation and it has yeah. this knock-on effect and with um at the moment there we have a very american idea that you need to be able to drive everywhere yes whereas i would much prefer to be looking to like and they have great weather <laughs> i'd much prefer to be looking to your a more european model because we have smaller roads smaller cities smaller towns everything and it, it's a better it's a better fit i remember once yeah. seeing a documentary about houston texas i think it was years ago it was like you know the world's fattest city or something it was very grim what? very grim and fattest city fattest city yeah fattest, fattest. Like, what do you mean fa- you mean like the people were the fattest the people were the fattest oh because yeah. the obesity rate was the highest there yeah yeah right okay okay yeah. i was just thinking i was just like how is a city fat <laughs> i don't imagine like just really broad <laughs> buildings or something i was like what houston, yeah, houston's on slimming world <laughs> Taking the way too literally, way too literally. You know, just imagine these like pear-shaped buildings. You know. <laughs> yeah. So Sorry. the human, Sorry. the human obesity levels. Like it was very awful. It was, it was a very kind of unpleasant. Like you see in 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 a lot of restaurants, there was like if yeah. you can eat this steak in under an hour, this pound of meat and all these chips. If you eat it in under an hour, you don't pay for it. So there's a culture of kind of encouraging kind of excess you know and then i remember these 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 people being interviewed and they were talking about collecting their takeaway and they said i just hate that i have to get out of the car and walk in to get it if i could just drive up to the door and be handed it and drive home i'd be happy and then later on someone was saying you know i've never experienced full i've never felt full and i uh, you know, now this was a long time ago. I, I don't even know where the documentary is. But the thing that struck me was that idea of being able to drive absolutely everywhere yes. at the expense of, because we don't want to walk. Now, I know, uh, I know that's not the basis of the argument of people being anti-walking or anything. But there is a knock-on effect that if you do drive everywhere, I know this, as soon as I learned to drive, my, <laughs> my waistline expanded because <laughs> I was not walking everywhere the way I was beforehand. And I suppose just that culturally, we, we, as we said a number of months ago, we, we, we had a, a chance to reset and we still do. Yeah, we do. Um, there's always a chance, right? There's always a mm-hmm. chance to do it better. Yeah. Um, and there's always a chance that uh, the the current structures don't allow these things. Mm. There's also, by the way, there's a very simple um, economics-based solution to uh, a lot of this stuff. It's called road pricing. Okay. So the idea is, the idea is, if a road is a scarce resource, it's currently used at a price of nearly zero by every car on an individual basis. The cost for me of driving, you know, into Liver City is zero or nearly yeah. zero. Um, in terms of the usage of the road, I pay a very low tax um, uh, for or the road usage and all that. Um, so uh, increase the price. So a bit like the plastic bag tax. Right. It was a spectacular success. Um, and reduced, you know, plastic bags in 2000 were like 5% of all rubbish. There were 1.3 billion of them. And the next year, they were not 0.32% of all household rubbish. Right. So, so spectacularly successful 
um, policy. Um, so, so you could do the same thing with road pricing. So mm. if it cost 50 cent to not to park, right. But to actually use the roads, so you drive in, you know, the way sometimes when you have a toll, you have that little tag thing. Yep. It just, they just read your note. It just reads the number plate and it says 50, 50 cent to you for just driving on the road, mm-hmm. you know? And if you want to use the road in, uh, in peak times, the price goes up to two euros or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, 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 that really discourages usage. And the most successful uh, implementation of this has been in Singapore, where um, they saw uh, the usage of roads fall tremendously the day after they brought in road pricing. It's also happening in London. Right. Uh, two really interesting aspects of that policy, though. The first was, in the Singapore example, the average speed rose, right? So people thought, the people who have paid went, I've just paid for this. I'm going to go faster. Okay. Right? The average right. speed rose quite significantly because wow. they're like, you just, you forced me to pay for something. I'm going to really use it. And they roar down the road. So that, so the average speed increased quite, I think it was 22%. So it's quite considerable increase. I'll check that number, but quite considerable. And then there's the second thing was, it was a deeply regressive policy, meaning the people who could afford to do these uh, kinds of things did it. So, rich people were able to drive their cars um, uh, in and out as, as much as they wanted mm. and poor people couldn't. And it, it, it shows that any kind of design of any policy, like a, any kind of fine structure always ends up privileging the people who can easily afford the fine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. By definition, it's kind of a regressive tax because it hurts the people with lower incomes more than the people above it. Mm. So Jeff Bezos, for example, He's, he's a great example of he, one year he had $16,000 in parking funds because he just parks wherever he wants because mm-hmm. he's the world's richest man. He, he's free, like his time per hour is worth vastly more than the time it would take him to find a parking spot. So he just throws up his car anywhere, gets the ticket, right? Who's this? Uh, Jeff Bezos. He owns Amazon. Oh, be- be- yeah, Jeff Bezos. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bezos, Bezos. Bezos. No, you're right. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I've only ever read it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bezos, you know. <laughs> Joff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, Joff. So Joff. Um, yeah. So he 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 uh, quite famously, um, he quite famously had just a giant um, parking parking ticket bill, uh, and so. Uh, but if you have parking tickets and you're, they're unpaid in America, you can actually be sent to jail. So oh. same person without the income would just go to jail. Of course. Right. So, so there are the idea of fines. That's why, uh, that's why the penalty point system was brought in in Ireland because rich people were just able to pay the fines. I get you. Speed away, right? Yeah. Um, and so they went, oh no, there has to be a thing whereby rich and poor are penalized alike. Mm-hmm. So while road pricing would actually help to reduce the number of cars on the roads, mm-hmm. it probably seems like the best um, solution is a regulated one, which is the one you're suggesting, which is actually cars can come in and out, you know, from six o'clock in the morning until 10 a.m. or something. Mm, yeah. And between 10 and four, it's totally pedestrianized. You can't put a car there. We put up those the bollards, those sort of bollard things, and um, which always, they always make me think of Gattaca or something, seeing these like cylinders rise from the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're always pretty like, mm. so there's that. And like that, that kind of stuff I find, I, I find really interesting. 
it's it's actually you just reminded me there a number of years ago um michael o'leary bought a taxi um taxi plate a taxi plate so he could use the bus lanes yeah that's right. like he he wasn't a taxi, but he had the thing, so he could use the yeah. buzz lights. It just reminded me of Jeff, you know, an Irish Jeff Bezos. A little bit, a little bit. Um, he's a very interesting example of a, a free thinker, creative thinker. Mm. Um, the problem was that he screwed a, a taxi plate onto the top of like a really, really expensive car. Yes. So he did the, the, the damage he did to the car. My dad was a taxi driver and I remember him doing this. My dad was just shaking his head going, I know he's rich and stuff, but he wrecked that car. Yeah. You know, because you've got to screw it in. Like you can't just sort of, it doesn't just sit on top. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it was a hell of a thing. And he See never, and he never picked up a passenger. <laughs> Do you reckon though he should have? Like you make a few extra quid, you know? I think he did for the crack, you know? <laughs> but like, He'd, he'd still have charged them, Mike. Actually, I have, a, I have a very funny story. I remember years ago, a friend of mine um, uh, lived in a house in Galway. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, he was out one night and he was sharing a house, he had a bunch of housemates. And he, he was out one night at the pub and he went to the taxi rank to get a taxi home. And it mm-hmm. turns out one of his housemates was a taxi driver. Okay. And uh, the guy went, oh, hey, um, I'm, I'm actually finished. I'm, I'm just going home. Like, and he's like, oh, brilliant. And they drove home and they got to the house and your man <laughs> clicks on the light and went, so that'll be, you know, six euro. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, he didn't meet him getting a fare and going, oh, hey, man. He was, the guy was driving home, finished work, and he charged his housemate. And the housemate paid him. Oh yeah, he was mortified. He was like, "Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah." Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. In that moment, you're like, "Oh, oh, 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 oh." Yeah. And it's, oh, 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 oh. It's just oh. like if you live with a chef or something, and you come down to making breakfast. Oh, do you want a do you want a couple of rashers? Like, oh yeah, cool. And then like, okay, that's you know, it's four ninety five mm. for for yeah. that portion of rashers. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is why my wife never asked me for economic advice. You know, I'm quick with the invoice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the thing you're saying, like, it has to be, you know, it has to be people led, and I think that yeah. that's often what gets lost in. Well, I mean, you're you're the economist, but when something like the smoking ban was was about people, do you know, it was about the comfort and health of humans. Yep. And I know we're going to keep on. Hey, everyone, if you're listening a lot, the smoking man's one we keep coming back to because it's, it's the big example of the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, I know there, I've seen some people on Twitter saying, you know, my, my son has mobility issues or, you know, or people who have mobility issues need to be able to drive. You know, they also need to be able to find a parking space that are often occupied by cars that do not yep. need, that, you know, yep. who are just using it. But like, I think taking all those things into account, um, taking in the needs of the of the business owners where they can get their deliveries they can get you know and and then the people with mobility issues and that you know a, a simple <clears throat> a simple fix is is manageable but i yeah. think I, I think it's it's gone quite muddy in limerick because it's become a, a point of principle it's become an us and them it's become yeah yeah, I think that's fair. Well, on, twi- on Twitter, like yeah, exactly. So, so, so yeah, I'm just about to say that. So, right. So, it's very difficult to do nuance on Twitter, and it, Twitter is not the real world. So, the the most important thing really is that it, it, there are two things. The first is there has to be leadership 
Okay, there has to be somebody or somebody, somebody or somebody that mm. says we are going to fix this problem one way or the other, you know, or we're going to find some accommodation that's really good that really sort of, you know, gets to the point. Or 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 we say, listen, this whole place is just for cars, you guys. Get over it or leave, you know. Or it's a hundred percent pedestrianized. Get over it or leave. I'm sure the answer is somewhere in the middle. But the, the, the reality of the situation is you got, there has to be leadership to say, we're going to solve it. We're mm. going to come down somewhere in the middle, you know, uh, you know, 70% cars, 30% pedestrians, or 30% cars, 70% pedestrians, whatever it is, right? There has to be some negotiated solution. And, 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 and cities do this all the time. And ours, you know, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to maybe do it as easily or as, as successfully as Cork or Waterford. Mm. Um, there, there may be reasons for this that we're not aware of, right? So very often, it, it's tempting to ascribe, I don't know, mendacious or vexatious kind of um, motives, you know, uh, to to groups. But the reality of the situation is, uh, as I as I, as I've gotten older and studied this stuff better, what I've learned is, if you don't understand a situation, if it doesn't make sense to you the answer is almost always a combination of your prior beliefs won't let you understand it and you don't have enough information. Right? Okay. So, so you can challenge both of those things. You can try to go get out, go out and get more information primarily through constructing a forum whereby people can discuss these things openly. Um, and the second way is you can actually challenge your priors and the, the way to, the way to do that, I teach my students this all the time, is like state an opinion that you have mm -hmm. and then state its opposite and argue the opposite. Okay. Right? So um, actually, weirdly, an example that came up a lot one year uh, was the marriage referendum. Mm -hmm. so the marriage referendum, I think it was the year before, I was trying to give an example of this to an MBA class, actually. Um, and I was saying, look, you know, you have to, when, when you're arguing against something, particularly in, in, in any negotiation or whatever, you really do need to understand the other's position, right? And so, so we, had, uh, we had two different groups and we said, look, I, I, what do you believe? Not what, you know, I'm not giving you a debate topic, right? Yeah. I actually want you to sort of really state a belief and I want you to argue against your own belief. Yeah. It was really interesting seeing it happen. And it's a bit like a sort of a, a more in, over-intellectualized version of the narrative four process, which I yeah. was, know loads about. Um, and I'd love to try using that actually in teaching um, uh, if I could figure out how, how to do it. But uh, um, we, we can talk about that, but the, the basic, uh, just for anyone listening, narrative four um, is an institution in the States and in Ireland, actually in Limerick. But they use a model called the story exchange, which quite simply would be you'd come to this session with a story from your life so maybe it was like a time where you showed bravery or something simple that you're responding to and then i right. i'd team up with say Stephen. i didn't know you i'd sit down i tell you my story you tell me yours and then we come back into the two together and i say my name is Stephen, and this is my story of when i showed bravery i was 11 years old i was working on my dad's boat or whatever and i tell your story in the first person as if it's my own Okay. And then you do the same. And it's obviously it's, it's even stronger again. It kind of resonates a bit more when it's uh, opposite genders. Do you know what I mean? Um, not, it doesn't resonate more. It's the same experience. But I think when 
when people hear you say like my name is Anne or I say my name is Stephen they oh, right, really okay. especially if it's a group of people who don't know each other you know it, it's okay. it's um like that's more just a, a random example but what it does is uh, it's all about developing empathy and putting yourself in someone else's shoes that's that's okay. what that's what the story exchange is about and it's, it's funny when you were saying that I was like oh this reminds me of yeah. and how empathy is is so it's always important but it's extra important now because we are I think because of social media and because yeah. of the us and them and the hmm. it's Instant interesting you said the marriage referendum because I remember during that time um, on my newsfeed uh, on social media um, obviously I, I really wanted the marriage referendum to pass but I know a lot of people from kind of Christian land as I was talking about Camp Jesus a few weeks ago yeah, who were arguing the opposite sure. um, wasn't fun but it was very good for me to see that and not to be in my echo chamber like mm. it wasn't good for me it was, it was quite damaging but it was important for me to realise that there was a very strong yeah. movement against it and, and also the thing is because I came from it and exited it I knew it. I knew it all. I knew the arguments. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Of course. And it's easier to argue with people when you know where they're coming from, sure. rather than go, "You're a, you're a Neanderthal. You're a cheap yeah. duddy Because that, you know, that really works when you insult people. You really, yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. But no, and I think that's really important. There's kind of, I suppose, developing empathy amongst groups about, like, let's we all have the same goal. Really, we all want to live here yeah. and make a living. Yeah. And have a happy life here, you know, and like have a nice life as a citizen. So, so that's the idea, right? So, so if you have two competing perspectives, thinking about focusing on the future is really helpful mm. because people do have shared goals. We do actually want to make the place better for our kids. We do mm. actually want to make the better a, a nicer place to live, right? We differ on how to get there, but maybe it would be really interesting. Wouldn't it be fascinating actually to do the narrative four thing, but with <laughs> have the the pedestrianization activists I, I don't even know it's fair to call them that but you know that um the movement that yeah, group, whatever that group is yeah. just have them argue against the idea of pedestrianization and just go like <laughs> or, or or to tell the story of the groups uh who are against the idea well to just do a story exchange often it doesn't even have to be relevant to the topic it's just about well, i don't. need to i need like uh John O'Brien needs to stop stop seeing Tommy Heffernan as uh, a, a tree hugging hippie, and Tommy needs to stop seeing John O'Brien as a right wing, close minded ape. You yeah. know what I mean? The, the things we use to dismiss each other, and and yes. and, and uh, like Narrative Four have done story exchanges with uh, young people in the Bronx and the police. They've done oh. story exchanges in in Israel and Palestine. You know, and just wow. like. You know, I, I guarantee any of us, if we, if you were in middle America and your car broke down and you ended up looking for help and ending up having dinner in someone's house and having a great old time, and then you might see, I don't know, a, a Trump leaflet yeah. or something, you know, primarily people are good. <laughs> you mm. might, the politics comes after, do you know? And like, yeah. I know that's oversimplifying, but like, we're better off when we, when we approach with understanding yes. and openness rather than fist waving and uh, there's a book uh, called humankind by rutger 
Bregman. Oh, yeah. I read it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a really interesting book. And it's basically a destruction of the canonical examples of social psychology, which are which are basically they stem from the kind of Lord of the Flies idea where, you know, everyone is awful. You know, civilization is a thin veneer. And if you're not careful and if it's not heavily enforced, people essentially devolve into beasts, kill each other. There's a fat guy with a conch. He gets the head kicked off him, blah, 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 right? That, yeah, that thin veneer of civilization can just leave you. Mm. Um, and there's loads of books that are kind of pessimistic about human nature. Um, I think and, you were talking about that, but were yeah. you saying that this person was challenging that idea? Or yeah, that totally, totally okay. kicking it around. But the yeah. basic, one of the things that he talked about was there actually was a real life experiment, a Lord of the Flies experiment, where... Yeah, young boys um, in Fiji, in fact, stole a boat. They crashed the boat, and they ended up living on an island with themselves for a couple of for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got on grand. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't devolve into Lord of the Flies. One of them broke his leg. They set his leg. They were fine. Uh, they organized food. They had different shifts. Um, whenever there were disagreements, one person just walked over to walked around the island, and by the time he got back, he was Grant. You know, it, it was it was I think it was six boys, yeah, wow. six boys, and they they it all worked like it was a, it was an interesting example of, but only one of course, but it was an interesting example of most people are Grant most of the time, yeah, and the 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 reality of the situation is a lot of us are trapped inside a narrative. Um, you know, uh, or or a frame that we don't necessarily need to be. No. Um, if you told if you told me six months ago that I would be spending the majority of my time figuring out how to record lectures and put them up on the internet, I would have said, "What you talking about, Willis?" Uh, <laughs> but I I uh, uh, I do right, and mm. our, our whole frame has changed, and that's okay. You know, sometimes it's good to have your frame changed. It, it, you know, it's very healthy. And I actually remember years ago, not combating this idea um, that you've just specified, but I I remember years ago, um, I was on holidays in England and there was a a truck protest where they they were blocking the fuel. um, It was to do with the price of fuel and the, the trucks were protesting and they were blocking the fuel trucks from delivering fuel. Um, and it just meant that um, petrol stations had no fuel, like had less and less fuel, and it was affecting deliveries to shopping centers, and um, and it was, the, the trucks were, were I, I can't even remember what they were protesting exactly, but it was a very good manner of, of, of uh, blocking, literally, the movement of an economy, and uh, there, were, there were videos of, like, people you know, queuing, you know, obviously the panic buying was kicking in and people yeah, were yeah, queuing yeah. to get petrol and some man like it came up in a motorbike and skipped the queue oh. or something like that. And this old one like got out with her handbag and just bet the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember my cousin at the time saying, you know, we're all we're all nine meals away from being cavemen. And this yeah. idea that if you're denied food and drink for three days and somebody skips the queue or somebody, <laughs> you know, something that might have been, oh, don't worry about it, would be Game over blood. And yeah. I, I, I think there is a, a difference between, say, um, you know, kind of apocalyptic 
set up. Yeah. And and say and then community, which is what these these boys were like when we come together and work together, like even during this whole lockdown period, there has been a kind of almost a village sense, say yep. in in Limerick, for example, and people are trying to buy from local shops and get deliveries from them, yeah. you know. And I think th- this divide around pedestrianization versus cars, um, I think I told you last week that mm. like I have ex- I've kind of observed a lot more road rage and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it seems to be this kind of snap back against <laughs> the, the lovely time. Um, yeah. But we have to negotiate it because it's, it's new. It's all just unexpected and and the community spirit as opposed to the the the, the three the nine meals away from cavemen it, it's it's finding that that um yeah that that magic spot yes. and it can only come from from humanizing each other which unfortunately um social media does not do yeah it, like, but it doesn't it doesn't it give you a doesn't it give you a, a little bit of hope though that we, you and I are, you know, people of, of, of we're, we're sort of reasonably average people and we have identified uh, an issue that is really serious, right? Like it's, it's a really serious issue, but we can state the problem really clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can state a problem really clearly, you can find its solution very mm-hmm. often. Good example of that is the problem of robots on the internet. So uh, you can set up a bot it will go and uh, search for passwords and it will break into websites and rob all the information, including the financials. So uh, people had to, it had to generate password generating algorithms and all this. And the idea was just wrecking everyone's head. And uh, a security company said, look, this is our biggest problem. Can anyone fix it? And a guy called Luis Van Al fixed it. You know, when you go to a website and it's like, I want to check that you're human. Can you type in these words? Yeah. The first word is known by the computer, right? So it's like, it'll be something like Byzantium or something. The yeah. second word is a screenshot of a word from the New York Times, which the, it's the computer does not know. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it knows that if you, if you get the first one right, you're probably going to get the second one right. Right. So it samples every, if, if you get 10 words that are the 10, 10 of the second words that are the same, it says, this is probably the right word. And it translates the image into uh, text. And what's happening is, as you're doing that job, you are, you're, first off, you're stopping robots who aren't able to do the machine vision thing. Because mm-hmm. humans are much better at it. So your, your stuff is more secure. Second off, you are uh, helping to digitize the entire stock of human knowledge. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. So, so you're solving two problems, not one. Now, that Louise Van Al went on to uh, um, set up Duolingo, oh, which yeah. is his app, right? And sort of, I'm sure he's a billionaire now or whatever. But the interesting thing about the guy's success is obviously he's really clever. But in my sort of understanding of his history, his personal history, what it seems to be the case is he responded to a really clearly precisely stated problem with a cool and innovative solution so you and i can state a problem right and the prob the problem is we're not sure how to negotiate a shared future where everybody respects everybody else Mm. in an urban Mm. context maybe a rural one too who knows Um, but if but but 
if we can say that, that's a really clearly stated problem. We don't know how to do that. Could, could a Louis von Al or his or her, you know, analog in, in, in the city context come up with a solution? The answer is yeah. Mm. Nothing is beyond, nothing is beyond us. Like, you know, yeah. we, can, we can do all these things. Yes. You know? um, the, the, the question I'm often asking myself is why don't we? And I think the answer is, uh, first off, institutional inertia. You know, the number of times recently I have been told, uh, we, we, we don't do that here. Um, when what they really mean is, we haven't done it here yet. Yes. Right? That, like the number of times I've heard that. And th if the pandemic proves anything, it proves that you don't need the the answer of we haven't done it before is not a sufficient is neither necessary nor sufficient in fact to stop progress on an idea it exactly means you haven't done it before and like we're you know the 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 opportunity of rethinking things is remarkable you know and the benefit of any of this is that there is the i don't know the, the chance to to rethink some of it but say is that a creative solution yeah you know like that's how that's how society moves forward mm. and it's um i i am fairly certain i told the story before on this podcast but just remember friends of mine were asked to uh, consult on the pa Patrick's Day Parade oh. and they made some suggestions around um, putting fabric on buildings having UL Abseil Club come down and you know all the stuff and around the table of decision makers they looked at each other and said oh, we've never done that before I was like okay so why consult with anyone if that's you know if they're just going to look for the same idea, then they don't need to consult. And I think what's, and I'm not getting caught up in my new, I think what's quite frustrating, say for the pedestrian movement in Limerick is there was consultation. There were ideas asked for, there were submissions sought and they were all submitted and ignored. And I think yeah. that is where, it, yeah. you know, literally it has to be a two way street guys, <laughs> you know, but yeah. that middle, the middle ground is, is um is what's needed um in in general but um and i think that's where people's empathy runs thin if they feel well i was asked a question i answered it and nothing came of that um yeah which i think as you said it's this institutional inertia it, it, it's called, it's fear-based it's sure it's it's <laughs> it's also that there that when you do a consultation with somebody you have to consult now it doesn't mean so if I consult with my doctor and the doctor says, oh, Steve, I think you need a new hip. That doesn't mean like she's not telling me I am like she's decided I'm getting one. Yeah. She's recommending something. I can choose not to do it. Mm. Right? Somebody says, look, you need to pedestrianize 30% of Limerick. I could, I could choose not to do that. Mm -hmm. right? I've, I've taken the consultation. I could choose not to do it. But I will typically give the doctor a very good reason for why I'm not getting my hip done. And I think it's that lack of feedback that people are, you know, they're saying like, sure. I don't think, I don't think anyone filling out any consultation thinks everything I, everything I want will now happen. 
Yes. And I have written it on a piece of paper. Absolutely. Not, no one anywhere thinks that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the difference is there's no process by which they can be responded to mm-hmm. in a way that says, look, we have these other constraints. Yep. And they're, 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 they're much more difficult to, 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 to negotiate than you think. So a very good example of this, a couple of months ago, the financier Dermot Desmond mm-hmm. wrote a thing in the Irish Times where he said, lads, I can fix the housing problem tomorrow, right? Um, and all of it boiled down. It was very nice and well-written and whatever, but all of it basically boiled down to the fact that he wanted to borrow 20 billion euros. Right. Right. Um, and th- th- I remember I, r- I wrote on Twitter right away, like, that's not possible. Like, it's yeah. not possible uh, because we have these things called the fiscal rules. Yes. And in normal times, which is what it was in February, you can't, the Minister of Finance, he can't borrow 20 billion quid because it's against, like, the rules of the Constitution say you can't do it. So it's totally fine to say it, and it's economically even possible to do it, but legally the constraint was, like, you cannot do this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, 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 I found myself in a weird position where I, I felt nothing but sympathy for the Minister of Finance, who's like, hang on a second, I'm spending more money on housing than I've ever spent before. Now you can argue about where, whether it's spent well or not or whatever, but the quantum is, is, is historically high. And it's like, at a certain point, you, you, you kind of go, well, hang on, you, you, if you don't see things from the constraints that are actually binding, and, these, and the, the, this, is why, this is why I'm really interested in politics and policy, mm-hmm. because they, they supply a set of constraints that people on the outside simply don't see because they're invisible to, to us most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we never have a discussion where the Minister of Finance says, or the Taoiseach or whatever, says, I could have done A, B, or C. I chose A because of the following three reasons. But mm-hmm. here's why I didn't choose B or C. Yeah. B had some of the qualities of A, but really speaking, it was a bit riskier, and I kind of thought I might get myself into trouble in the courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, C looked way too expensive, and while it might have actually solved the problem, it also would have opened up a, a huge operational risk where we, were, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to do C. So we went with A, which looks really similar to the rest of the stuff that's gone in the past, but we're pretty sure it's going to work. It's not going to be too expensive, and we're definitely not going to get sued. That discussion, which I've just given you there, never happens, ever, 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 because two reasons. First off, that's a really long way of explaining anything, mm-hmm. right? To actually do that for every policy. You know, mm-hmm. Why did you lock down leash? You know, well, I could have locked down leash and off, you know, we, we could have gone for a national one, but we didn't go for a national one. We went for mm. a targeted one. We could have gone for micro targets where we just like locked down uh, towns or cities or plants or whatever. We didn't lock down the towns or cities. We locked down the entire county. So yeah. we didn't choose C and we didn't choose B where we just locked down the meat plants. We chose, uh, we didn't, and we didn't choose A either, in fact, which is the total national lockdown. We chose D, which is this weird county-based thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and here are the reasons why. Like that never comes out. And the reason is, first off, the argument is quite difficult. Second off, sometimes there are people who would directly benefit from some of the other policy outcomes. You know, like, so people in, um, 
people in the who work in the Kildare outlet, right? As we're recording this, Kildare is closed. Yeah, will be like, well, why didn't you pick option B where I didn't lose my job? Yeah, that you've directly harmed me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm now enraged. Yeah, like the other thing as well is if you open up your thought process like that, it becomes very difficult because you're defending against multiple gray options, mm-hmm. and you're not in real life, you're never or very rarely choosing the best option. Yeah. You're choosing the least worst. Yeah. I think you talked about this before. Yeah. And yeah. That is like, that is a really hard thing to, for the average person to hear, but that's really how it works. Mm. Um, and also like, and also the, a lot of the, the, the constraints that exist are political. They're like, I don't think my party will wear this. And if you're not part of the same party, you don't believe that constraint is a real one. Yes. You know, yeah, and, yeah. but it's totally real to the person making the decision. Or I don't think this one's going to help me get reelected. Or I don't think this one's going to help. You know, some of those are real constraints too. Um, I don't believe they dominate as much as people think, but they're there. Do you know? They're there. Yeah, they're definitely there. Um, as well as the issue of the communication of risk which is the thing I want to talk about in our next podcast. We're going to get to risk yeah, next week. We're going to get to risk next week. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah, I let's, let's, let's save the, ma- we'll save the magic for, 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 for Monday. Or yeah. Not Monday, I mean next Friday. Well, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, all the factors that, 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 you know what I mean? It's never one idea. It's all yeah. these ideas crashing together. But um, as, you know, bit of a, bleeding heart liberal that i am you know i just feel let's put he- let's put human welfare at the forefront and let everything flow from that um uh, you know uh, the podcast is coming to a close and people are like what a stupid idea but think about it you yep. know um it, it is it's, it's a bit more complex and thought out than i'm letting it sound but um i just think when when we prioritize like jobs are worked by people. Do you know what I mean? The industry, the economy is run by people and we should be um, at the, they should be at the priority of people as opposed to people being told the economy has to get back online. Of course it does, but that is by empowering people and minding people and, which is happening and I'm getting, I'm rambling and as this podcast ends and my point is just lost. Uh, <laughs> I think if, if I, if I, if I, were, if I was going to, um, to, to mansplain your point to you. Oh, go on. I tried to mansplain. It didn't work. So mansplain. Mansplain. <laughs> that's awesome. Mansplain. That'll be a great name for a podcast though. Just, you know, put that's that my, there. that's my spinoff. Mansplaining. Um, <laughs> Would be great, yeah. Um, to explain the, the the podcast, uh, I, I think it's it's all about like the choice of a criterion. Mm-hmm. So if you choose to maximize profits, you get an outcome which is you know lots of profits and you know people with lower wages and and lower lower standards of living for lots of people and very high standards of living living for for some people. And that's kind of more or less where many countries are. Not necessarily Ireland, to be fair, but, but lots of countries are like that. You get lots of inequality. Um, if you choose to maximize living standards, average living standards, 
then you end up with um, a much more equal distribution of income, lower profits. Uh, you end up with higher regulation of workers rights. The economy become, doesn't grow as fast for sure. So living standards don't rise as fast um, as they did previously, but the average person is pretty well taken care of. The average tax level is much higher on everyone, not just people in the higher levels, yeah. um, which in Ireland people will have a really hard time with. Mm. Um, but, but that's just true. If we decided to maximize living standards as opposed to um, anything else, we would, we would be interesting. We could also choose to minimize cruelty. Yep. So uh, I think we talked about this before. We have definitely, yeah. Yeah. But if you choose to minimize cruelty, uh, as GLS Shackle sort of argued we should, then you produce lots and lots of really interesting policies, which can often be quite cheap. This week, for example, um, Simon Harris said that uh, people who are asylum seekers don't, uh, uh, can avail of uh, third level grants. Um, and the, uh, the policy is, is, it will cost next to nothing because we're talking about a tiny number of people, a couple yeah. of thousand people. Uh, the, the relative to the whole higher level, higher education system, it's nothing. Yeah. Because we spend a billion on that, um, which is still not enough, but it's not a couple of thousand um, yeah. the, or tens of thousands. The, uh, the benefit is incalculably large for those individuals. Absolutely. Right? So it's a very good example of a policy that minimizes cruelty. Yeah. Um, so you, and you could, you could think of loads of those, you know, if, 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 I think you could, you could form a, a, a really interesting society. If you said, if the government came out and said, what policy will cost us less than a hundred thousand euros and will minimize cruelty, uh, go. And people would really come out with very interesting ideas because yeah. you know, like where we, the government will spend 85 billion this year, someone, something on the order of that. Mm -hmm. maybe more so mm -hmm. if you think 100 grand you know it's not yeah it's not a in the grand scheme of things yeah. the grand scheme of things oh, the hey. grand scheme. oh. <laughs> and i think we're going to keep coming back to this because what kind of a society kind of themes, right? it's funny it's something my 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 wife always says um your wife Anne. my wife Anne. <laughs> um always says that uh because of the nature of our independence as a country and on our formation as a country that we never really got to ask ourselves what kind of a society do we want sure you know and i think that's a question that's always worth asking what kind of a society do we want rather than the nitty-gritty minute stuff because you know it, it just it just feeds into like I, I think we all agree we we like being perceived as 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 culturally um cultural prowess uh the crack uh friendly uh easygoing mm -hmm. a, a great you know a, a nice lads. the lads you know um <laughs> beautiful uh you know all these things mm -hmm. and it's like okay but like can we can we go a bit deeper well, maybe yes. that's a question to put out to the to to the Twitterverse, which is not the real world, but it's one way we can in, encounter yeah. encounter it. So I might throw that I might throw that question out. Do it. But in the meantime, uh, we'll I will wish you a happy weekend, Stephen. You too. Thank you very much, and uh, I hope that it all goes well. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Talks. We will continue to talk stuff um, next week. Thank you. Yep. Bye bye. Bye.
You have been listening to Anne and Steve Talk Stuff, a Limerick Post podcast produced by Kean Reinhardt, theme tune composed and performed by David Blake. Follow Stephen Kinsler on Twitter at Stephen Kinsler. He's a Stephen with a PH. Anne Blake at Anne Blake 78. She is an Anne with no E. And the Limerick Post at Limerick Post. If you have any questions, you can get to any of these Twitter accounts or follow the hashtag Anne Steve Talk.